This week on A Lively Experiment, Gabe Amo cruises to victory in the race for the first congressional district seat, making history along the way. And we speak with the head of a special legislative commission just out with a report on potential changes to how Rhode Islanders vote. A Lively Experiment is generously underwritten by... Hi, I'm John Hazenwhite, Jr. For over 30 years, A Lively Experiment has provided insight and analysis of the political issues that face Rhode Islanders. I'm a proud supporter of this great program and Rhode Island PBS. Joining us this week, Joe Powers, chairman of the Rhode Island Republican Party, political contributor Rob Horowitz, and Steph Machado, Boston Globe reporter and contributor to Rhode Island PBS Weekly. And welcome into what turned out to be a very busy week. I'm Jim Hummel. We have a special announcement for you at the end of the program. But first, Gabe Amo won all but three communities in the first congressional district race and will be sworn in as soon as next week. Election Day also saw thousands of voters approving nearly a billion dollars of borrowing with a heavy concentration on school improvement. Steph, let me start with you. You were right in the thick of it on uh, election night. Any surprises to you? No, it was not a surprise um, that AMO won the general election. It pretty much fell exactly where we see Democrats and Republicans falling in, in statewide elections. He got 65%, Gary Leonard 35%. You know, I think the, the surprise and more what's going to happen night was the primary, of course, um, and pretty much just had to get through the general election, such a heavily Democratic district. Joe, you had a good candidate, but it's kind of tough with resources. Uh, Mr. Amo didn't want to do as many debates. W what is your postmortem on what happened on Tuesday? Well, you know, and, and you're right, the, the, the area is definitely defined for the Democrat Party. It's gerrymandered to fit that the way it is, and it's always been in that way for a very long period of time. Gary was, like, very good candidate, and I think him being a first-time candidate, coming out, me being still new to what I'm doing here and trying to get that message out. I, from a business standpoint, I like to look at the data, I look at the information, and I can see certain things such as things that we need to improve upon, which is like the messaging, getting out more information, getting more volunteers out there just to get his name to be included because his resume speaks for itself. He's definitively the ultimate leader. 30 years in the, in the Marines isn't, doesn't happen by accident. And, you know, Gabe Ammo stepping in and having the door opened up for him by so many different people, Ted Lieu and, and uh, Sheldon Whitehouse, uh, Gary didn't have that. He had to work on his own name. He had to create a name first and then try to get his message out after it. Yeah, I think the results were predictable. And um, the problems Republicans face in Rhode Island in, in congressional and Senate races, national races, is these races have all become nationalized. So people are really as much choosing their team as choosing an individual. I thought Gary Leonard was a great candidate and will be a very good Republican statewide candidate someday in governor's races, tenant governor's races, treasurer's races, those kinds of races that you can still win as a Republican. But until the National Republican Party changes, and um, fairly fundamentally, its, it's brand is fairly toxic. And that's, that's how these races are viewed by voters, not viewed by, they're not really looking as much as the individual candidates as they're saying, we're gonna send a Democrat to Congress or a Republican to Congress. Joe, there have been, I mean, you know, you've lived here uh, all your life. Uh, Link Ahmed and Don Kacheri ruled the state house for 16 years. So we didn't rule it, but they were in the, in the governor's office. Jeff Pine was the attorney general all those years ago. But th that was a different, I think, what, to Rob's point, that was a different Republican Party back then. So what do you do? It's not like Republicans haven't been successful in the past. What do you do as you
you look to the 24 election cycle? It's a great question, and I live off the philosophy. That you know, when I ask great questions, that's my job. <laughs> well, Steph was, no, I'm just kidding. Um, you know, success leaves clues, and I, I firmly believe in that. So what we do is, in, in my research along with my team, is we go back and we take a look and see what it is that they did in order to actually try to repeat exactly what they did. It's, it's, there's, it's a fail-safe in business, is if you do what the successful people do, chances are you're going to get the same results, if not better. So that's what we plan on doing is going back and taking a look. And, and to go back to the point of it being in, uh, for the national level, my job is to put a team together where we can insulate what's happening in Rhode Island. We're not going to be able to do it completely, but that falls on my shoulders to make sure that I can ward off all of the national stuff to make sure that we focus on Rhode Island. And the other thing is that's easier to do on state races because everybody yeah. definitely is not nationalized. And not to uh, this taking advice from a Democrat is a very bad idea, Joe. If you take a look at what, what Phil Scott in Vermont, take a look at what Charlie Baker did. You're still seeing Republicans for governor, just like you saw Bashir in Kentucky in a red state, Democrat getting reelected. Mm -hmm. When you're at state, when you're talking about state issues and, and um, are the roads going to be, you know, upgraded and what's your tax level on a state, and you can, those are almost by definition more divorced by national It's races. a little more amorphous with Congress because then it's automatically, it, it reverts exactly. to the national party exactly. as opposed to plowing your driveway. Exactly. We talked, you and I did the Globe podcast the day after, a little bit of intrigue with the with the bond issues and it showed that bond, that voters are paying attention. I was assigned to write the story about the How bond How exciting issues. was that? And what I... I I pre-wrote it and had to change the whole thing because... <laughs> Wasn't what you expected. No, I bond, you know, these school construction bonds almost always pass and there were really motivated voters in North Kingstown who voted down a $222 million bond to build a new school and a new police station. I think people were upset that they had to vote for both or neither. Um, and then they had a separate bond for an indoor rec center with pickleball courts that also failed. But... <laughs> Um, and then in North Smithfield, they voted down a bond to build a police station. And all the other bonds did pass, although the Middletown one was very, very, very close. close. Yeah. And I just thought it was really interesting, um, first of all, that voters came out in such high turnout to vote for the bonds. I mean, North Kingstown didn't even isn't even in the congressional district. They didn't have anything so everybody else on the ballot. Who voted was going for the they bonds. They were all there to vote for the bonds. They had yeah. higher turnout than Providence. Wow. Um, and so, it, you know, it's actually uh, encouraging that voters are paying attention to the local issues on their ballot and, and weighing in and not just, it's not just a rubber stamp. What do you make of that? Well, I think you could either say, is that a canary in the coal mine? To, to think of a better cliche, I can't this early, Jim. But, or, or at least Friday evening. The, um, or is it just because even though North Kingstown turnout was high, it was seven, eight hundred in a normal, say, 2022, 2024, it, was, it would be 15,000. So what you really had is the people, are, people that get motivated on bond issues are the ones that do vote no and are concerned about mm -hmm. their taxes. My guess is in a regular kind of turnout, a usual turnout year, even in North Kingstown and North Smithfield, those would have passed. Still, it, it does send a message that people may be feeling a little financially squeezed because um, because of the two or three years of inflation's down, but the years of inflation, the high cost of living. So something to watch. I, I think it's hard to read a lot into it, but it was interesting. I think uh, it's a lot of money, but I think where the rubber's going to hit the road is wh what you sell, is that what you're going to be able to deliver because of the high interest rates? And you know construction costs are not going to go down. Mm -hmm. So when the shovel hits the dirt, literally, are they going to have to modify plans? I think all of these schools probably need help, but it's a lot of borrowing. You know, in, in the world of construction, there's an old joke that the contractor buys a dinghy 
based on his original bid, and then he buys a yacht based on his change order program. And what that means is you come in and you give an original bid to do something, and next thing you know, there's added on, added on, added on. The numbers never are where they are because people don't handle the budgets properly. And I think what happened in North Kingstown is they had such a huge turnout without having any other elections going on. It's because of the messaging. They did an amazing job down in, down in North Kingstown. There were signs everywhere. They sent out mailers. They did everything they could. It's not to say that other towns didn't, but they got the message out and told people, this is really what's going on. And quite frankly, I think it comes back to what's going on in the economy and, the, you know, Bidenomics right now. Well, is, everything is so much higher. Well, and the, and the messaging, it was mega bond. Yeah. The mega bond yeah. made it sound like, think oh, it's going to take over. It's like extreme town. MAGA. Yeah, it was extreme actually MAGA. Less. MAGA, MAGA. Maybe people were confused, Joe. Yeah. Maybe less money than some of the other it. bonds that passed. It was Barrington 250. Yep. So... There was some good messaging there. I'm I guess, looking forward by the to that opposition. next tax bill, uh, Steph. Yeah. Well, the parents' <laughs> mafia always turns out at Barrington. Uh, there has been a lot of talk about elections over the years and how we vote. And you know, going back to Link, uh, uh, Link Chafee uh, as governor and Gina Raimondo's first uh, race for governor, she got and he got less than 50 percent of the vote. We live in what's called a plurality voting state. However much you win, whether it's 33% or 40% or 60%, you win. I sat down with Sam Zurier, who is the head of a commission that's been looking at maybe alternate choices for voting. Ranked choice voting, top two, runoff voting, and approval voting. We'll be talking about more, a little bit more about this, but here's some of my interview with Senator Zurier uh, about his commission's work. I live in Providence. I had a mayor, Buddy Cianci who always succeeded in three-way elections. and With I think, 30% 40% of the vote. Exactly. And it never reflected the will of the majority. Mm. And, um, you know, as a voter, um, I would be personally willing to learn a new system to help deal with the three-candidate problem. My hope is that we do find something that's better than what we have currently, because... Um, with the three-way races, with the multi-candidate races where you have a fringe candidate who gets elected. This is not the way we were taught democracy works when we were in grade school and high school. When I entered the General Assembly, I introduced a ranked choice bill and also a study commission. And um, it was clear that there'd be a lot of work needed before we could pass any legislation, but thankfully uh, leadership agreed to a study commission. At the end of your report and the recommendations, right off the top, you said, we want to try to increase voter turnout, particularly in the primaries. So yes, um, the primaries are a problem because right now um, uh, in um, districts which are heavily weighted towards one party or the other, the primary essentially decides who's going to be elected. What stood out to you when the commissioners were having their dialogue back and forth? They were talking about which of the alternatives made the most sense to them. Um, my fellow uh, elected officials were talking about largely policy issues. Um, the others were election officials talking about how to implement it and uh, administration. And they were talking about which, which systems would be easiest to administer. My hope is, uh, first of all, to introduce legislation to repeal the section of the Constitution that limits us to plurality voting in statewide uh, general elections. My full conversation with Senator Zurier is available right now on Rhode Island PBS's YouTube page. Joe, let me go to you first. Do any of these alternatives appeal to you from the Republican lens? 
Well, I'll tell you what, from a state where it's obviously very challenging for a Republican to, to win pretty much anything, although not impossible, um, there has been a, a one-party uh, run here for the last, what, 80, 90 years or so. Um, a ranked choice voting option would completely do away with any opportunities as far as a dual party system. It'll, it'll end up being not only confusing, um, it'll just be disruptive as far as what policy making. It's all going to go fall on one party and it's going to try to put everybody in, in, in one party line to actually follow along. I think personally there should be a two, even three party at that point, but a two party right now is something we ought to work on. But I think it's a broader issue is taking a look at it. It's, it's so polarizing when it comes to politics and people just talk about being a Democrat or Republican as compared to being a human being first and foremost. Do you think that local races, city council, town council, school committee should be nonpartisan? I do, actually, because there, there should be – what should happen inside of there is the focus is – the focus has been taken off the wrong things. It has been put on who's going to gain the power, who's going to obtain the power, and who's going to run it as compared to let's focus on the schools, let's focus on the children, let's focus on jobs, let's focus on the economy. Um, and I think there definitely should be an option there. Yeah, look, look, and full disclosure, Senator Zurio is a political client of mine. Um, but reading the report and listening to Sam, it, it reminded me of the old Winston Churchill – quote, which is democracy is the worst form of government except for all the others. <laughs> Every one of these things is going to be imperfect. And I think if reading between the lines, there's probably not a consensus for any. I'm attracted to ranked choice voting, but, but in primaries, I, I agree with you on the general election, in primaries because um, it, it, one is it limits the negative because you want to get the second and third choices. And if you're attacking people, you don't get it. And you have to appeal to a broader cross-section of voters. I'd love to see it candidly in Republican primaries around the country. Maybe we would get, uh, wouldn't have speakers like Michael Johnson, but that's a separate point. Um, but any system is going to have its imperfections. Reading the report, it, it wasn't clear to me that there was a sufficiently compelling reason to pick any of these over, over the existing imperfection that we have. Yeah, I think, first of all, it's interesting to talk to Senator Zurier about, Zurier about this because he was elected with a plurality in a four-way primary um, originally for his state Senate seat. And, and he, he was, didn't like that. He was well aware that it was not a mandate and that the majority of voters in his district picked one of the other candidates. Right. Um, when I read the report, it seemed like the report was trying to convince me what was wrong with all four of the options. Um, <clears throat> and I think it's a really interesting question. We talked about it in the... CD1 race this year. We talked about it um, in Fall River when the former mayor, Jaisal Correa, was recalled by a majority of voters and then reelected by a plurality of voters. Right. So more voters wanted him out of office than in, but he got to stay <laughs> in. And so I'm curious what the commission will end up recommending. I also think the political will at the General Assembly to pass one of these options anytime in the to near... To throw out the status quo. In the near future, it just seems like uh, a monumentous effort and it sounds like they have to change the constitution and do all these different things. Right, and so. he said there's a question, state, federal, constitutional issues, a lot of education. Because you know uh, Mayor Adams in New York, that was a ranked choice voting right. vote and it took 10 days or a week and that be, people begin to think, hey, what's going on with this election, and, right? And by the way, any of this is going to be difficult because by definition the people that are in the legislature got got elected in the existing system, they're going to be, they're going to really bang right. the tires before they, yeah, let's before they take out. a risk. It's oh, well. useful to see what's going on in Maine and Alaska because they've had all, had all kinds of court challenges to their right. systems. And so that will be useful if Rhode Island moves forward with any of these to see where the courts all shake out on this. Final thought? 
Yeah, I, I, I agree. And I, I don't think it's something that's going to work out. I mean, it's hard enough to get people to the, to, the, uh, to the polls the first time, to have them keep coming back and do it over and over and over again. I think it's just going to be even worse. And, you know, to, to fall back on, on his point is, you know, the whole uh, democracy thing, it's one step away from socialism, which is why I love being in a constitutional republic where you can find that right person to actually speak for everybody as compared to everybody speaking at once. We're going to have you and Rob have that conversation off camera a little bit later. Not <laughs> uh, for the rest. I, I, by the way, I, I could see the 30-second ad. <laughs> Republican chair says democracy is one step away from socialism. I'm just teasing <laughs> you. Yeah, I really am. Yeah. Oh, wait a minute. We'll check on that. Wait, hold on. Um, late in the week, uh, big news from the uh, Blackstone Valley. Longtime Winsocket Mayor Lisa Baldelli-Hunt resigned abruptly. How abruptly? They had a new mayor sworn in by the end of the day. Uh, Steph, this took kind of everybody by surprise, but maybe not so much. Yeah, and, and kudos to my former colleague at Channel 12, Eli Sherman, who um, published the investigation about this questionable land deal um, that was going to be investigated by the city council before she resigned. She says she's resigning for health reasons. Um, she's been a very controversial figure for years now. She was removed from office last year and then and then got back in. So it was. I was totally shocked yeah, um, yesterday when it happened. Um, but I guess it's that not, it happened or how it all unfolded. Uh, yeah, how it all unfolded that it happened on that particular day because she she's a person who who has previously fought to stay in her position. Right. So I assumed we would see the same thing this time around with whatever the city council was was going to turn up in their investigation. Yeah, but Mayor Baldoli Hunt takes no prisoners. Right. I mean, and, and she's done she's an effective job up there. And, and Neil advised going after her but not having a, any replacement was just shows how much they hate her, the council, because they had no plan. So if she got out, it says to me, you don't know, that this is a very serious problem she has. Because she, she would, she, to, to, to back Steph's point up, she would, she, you'd have to drag her out of there. You now, know? we will say, and Otherwise. I, I will give her the benefit of the doubt, she said it's for health issues. Some yeah. of us are skeptical about that. So, you know, I just want to make sure that's why she said she's leaving. When you heard the news, what did you think? Well, I, at first I thought to myself that I didn't realize that embarrassment or guilt was a medical issue. So um, if that were true, then, you know, half the politicians in the United States of America would be going out on medical leave left and right. But, I mean, it all comes down to trust in, in the mayor that they had, and, and some people just let it go and other people focused on. Like you said, another mayor was, signed, was sworn in literally that afternoon, which means they had stuff ready to rock and roll, and they were just waiting for her to step out. It always reminds me, like, of the 85-year-old U.S. senator who, like, all of a sudden he's on the verge of investigation or indictment. He says, I want to spend more time with my family. family. I'm yeah. not sure your family yeah. wants to spend more time right. with you. What, what I'm hearing from my sources up there is she had had a tight bunch of people who had always supported her. Now, she got voted out in that previous council, and then she got back in. This land deal was a step too far, mm -hmm. I think. And, and I think she saw the writing on the wall, and it makes sense, right, after Eli's yeah. thing, that we're not paying attention to Winsock as closely as he is, but that political alliance probably was not going to be there for her. So she's like, do I want to go through right. all the removal of the investigation? And by health problems. We don't right. want to suggest that, of she, that she doesn't have health problems. We know she collapsed at a press conference and obviously... Would she want to go she, through all this? Hope that she recovers and is doing well. Um, but yes, I think, I think the writing was on the wall a little bit um, in hindsight. Finally, uh, David Cicilline, who, as you know, the whole reason Gabe Amo... <laughs> Uh, got elected is that he left, uh, Cicilline left earlier this year for a uh, pretty pricey job, pretty uh, 
well-compensated job with the Rhode Island Foundation. He found himself in a little bit of a controversy this week because he was supposed to headline a Democratic fundraiser at the end of the week. Clearly, that's something the Rhode Island Foundation board, I'm sure, not was not pleased about. That got canceled. I, I'm surprised Cicilline had a bit of a tin ear to this, in my mind, Joe. What do you think? Well, I'm not. I mean, it's, it, it is good to see that, you know, even though he abandoned the, the seat in Rhode Island, he didn't abandon the party. But um, this should be a nonpartisan type thing where he is, where he's stepping aside, uh, working for this nonprofit, and then turning around and trying to use his weight to, to go on the de uh, Democrat side to actually raise as much money. I, I said something on Twitter. I put out a release in regards to it simply because w we all felt it just had the, it, it didn't pass the smell test on how it was going. And apparently we were right because he withdrew or they actually turned it down and they're actually refunding money back. Um, I'm, I'm shocked. I mean, he's, he's not a dummy. I mean, he's been doing this for a very long time. I'm just curious on why they thought they could just slide that in and, and let it happen. Yeah, I mean, David Cicilline has always been a particularly political politician. And so when he got the job at the Rhode Island Foundation, um, he apparently agreed to rein that in and be nonpartisan and not participate in political but activities. But wasn't that always the concern? Some people yeah. were like, can they they really were really do yep. that? They knew who they were hiring, of course. Um, and so it was probably a good idea to cancel the fundraiser. Yeah, he, he made a mistake. Uh, and it was, and, and you're right, for, for David, who is a, the con former congressman, who is very smart, and by the way, served the state admirably in a number of roles, as mayor and as congressman, and emerged as a national leader in the Congress, which out of 435 isn't, isn't easy. He's very smart. He's going to do a great job at the Rhode Island Foundation. It was clearly a mistake, and, um, but it's a mistake, and it's a small mistake, and, and, and it's now fixed. So the test will be going forward. There's going to be more scrutiny, so he's going to have to as we say in, in, on, on Sundays when we watch football, he's going to have to stay within the four-yard line, so I'm pretty confident he will. But I also wonder, just finally, whether there's going to be a ripple effect, because there was always concern, is that politics going to bleed into his position? Now, and maybe Rob's right, it, it'll be in the rearview mirror, it'll be a blip, but decisions he makes about where grants go and that type of thing, are people going to go, wow, he's still got his you know, political lens on? Well, you, you kind of... Put it on yourself. You turned your own spotlight on there, and people will start paying attention. They'll start scrutinizing all his decisions moving forward. And you know, and I don't really qualify it as a mistake as much. I mean, like we all agree, he's he's not a dummy. He's been doing this for a very long time. He is a very political politician, and he knows the steps that he's taken. He's meticulous with it. So him calling this a mistake, I think, is is, is kind of an offshoot. It's a misnomer. All right, folks, I got to hold it for you, Joe and Steph and Rob. Good to see you again. We have a special announcement here at Rhode Island PBS. Normally, we talk about the news on Lively. Today, we are the news, as the television station plans to merge with the public's radio. Coming up momentarily, David Picciarelli, the president of Rhode Island PBS, and Tori Malatia, who heads up the public's radio, will join me with details about what you can expect from this alliance. And we are back with David and Tori. Gentlemen, nice to have you both here. It's a harbinger of things to come, right? Good to be here, Jim. Thanks for having us. <laughs> David, you have been talking about this going back 10 years, and it never got done. Why an alliance now between radio and television? Well, our directors, our, our chairs of our boards got together last fall and uh, just really made great conversation and made it happen. That's why we're here today. Tori, what, what do you think from your end? Well, I, I, I'm delighted that it went somewhere. I mean, it's true that there have been conversations here and there, but this was a very focused, very detailed and thorough conversation over a year. It involved a facilitator, 
a lot of board members from both sides. And, uh, and I think at the, at the end, we're very pleased with what we've come up with. And I think the public is going to benefit immensely. From, from a reporter's standpoint, you kept the secret because I didn't hear anything until Thursday afternoon. So pretty good job doing that. That was amazing. Yeah, yeah. absolutely amazing. You would have thought it would have leaked out at some point, right? There were a few leaks here and there, but I think overall, internally, but uh, I think that I put the fear in those people that knew, were in the know to button it. So tell me what you're thinking. A lot of it, you know, there's a lot of details leading up to just the announcement, and you still have a ways to go. This is going to oh, yes. this this is is go into what, the first quarter probably before you can? We're hopeful that we'll be able to close the transaction sometime in April or, or, or March or April. Attorney General has to look at two because they're two nonprofits. Right. Right. Do you anticipate any speed bumps there? You've talked about that. Hard to ahead. say. Yeah. yeah. In terms of what is what does it do from a programming standpoint in your mind, Tori, having television and radio? This is a model. You've been all over the country working. This is a model that's being done other places. Oh, yes, indeed. And, uh, you know, it's not it's about journalism from our perspective. It's about journalism. Isn't that refreshing? Huh? Where that where that goes, television, radio, digital, in person, forums, meetings, uh, convenings. I mean, it, it's all it's all a way of finding uh, a deeper reach into our community. And to do that, you need muscle. <laughs> you need scale. You need a lot of very talented people. And we have our, our very talented staff. But so so does Rhode Island PBS. And the notion of being able to work with those creative people together to enhance the amount of journalism and the kind of journalism we can give to this community is just, it's it's great. It's it's been the news that we've been hoping for for a long time. What do you see from your end in terms of being able to harness what public radio does? Uh, just a way to distribute content on multi-platforms where our you know audiences are and when they want to have it. So it's just being more Correct. accessible with all of our messaging and all of our uh, content that we have for the community. I think those of us of our age and our generation, you know, we're doing stuff now that we didn't even know would exist, the internet and digital platforms right. and all that. I know PBS has invested an awful lot in new programming going toward digital. Talk about where you see that going in the next months and years. Uh, I think it's probably more years, Jim, than it is months. I mean, we're at capacity now for content creation. So as we complete this transaction and as we go through a strategic planning process, we'll come up with a, a new direction for the combined organization and that'll dictate what kind of content gets created. Did you look at other models? I mean, all you have to do is go 50 miles up the road, GBH. Uh, WGBH does it with TV and radio. Mm -hmm. Are they? Is it like you, there's nothing new? You can't really reinvent the wheel. Or are there other places in the country where this is working? Where you said maybe we can borrow a little bit from their model? I, I think we looked everywhere, and um, and you're right. There are a lot of um, combined institutions, joint licensees. They're called, you know, television, radio, etc. Um, where there, there's one one umbrella institution that runs it, and so on. Um, what I think we're thinking about is is that we have we've had time both of us as institutions to form our character by the work we've done, and now coming together is an opportunity to actually see what kind of electricity comes from that, um, as opposed to just the roof over both sides, and and that I think is where 
we will, I, I think, extend public service in ways that every single viewer, listener, inter, uh, uh, internet user, all of the people who use our, our content will see a huge difference. Just last 30 seconds, what's going to be the same for viewers and listeners and what's going to be different in your mind? Uh, everything is going to stay the same in the near term. In the long term, there will just be more of the great stuff that we produce now. That's great. Well, congratulations to both of you. We Thank look you, to uh, hear a lot more about this. <laughs> Folks, we appreciate your loyalty to this show. If you don't catch us Friday at 7 and Sunday at noon, you can catch us all over social media, Facebook, Twitter, and we archive all of our shows at ripbs.org slash lively. You can learn a lot more about this merger on our website. We hope you have a great week and come back here next week as the Lively Experiment continues. Lively Experiment is generously underwritten by... Hi, I'm John Hazen White, Jr. For over 30 years, a Lively Experiment has provided insight and analysis of the political issues that face Rhode Islanders. I'm a proud supporter of this great program and Rhode Island PBS.